0: When it comes to salvation, Pastor Xavier Ree says it's a free gift that must be received, not forced. The
1: Apostle Paul declared he makes himself and others who proclaim the gospel one with the gospel. Is this your gospel? Has it grabbed you? Does it own you? Do you proclaim it? Do you rely upon it? Is it your gospel or is it just the gospel? There's an important difference. There's a difference between relationship and religion. Don't confuse them.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. I'm sure you've heard that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, that may very well be true most of the time. But there is one thing we can't buy, earn, or steal. And that's salvation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because He's already picked up the tab on our behalf. That's the simple truth Pastor Xavier helps to reveal in today's encouraging message. Let's listen. Paul the Apostle has laid
1: out masterfully the absoluteness of the ministry of the Old Covenant and the absoluteness of the ministry of the New Covenant, disarming the attack by the Judaizers against his ministry in chapter 3. So Paul declared... Now, his absolute confidence in the ministry of the new covenant to save the sinner. And he says it's based on three things. Let me read here. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitful, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, should be, um, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves, your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commended light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts the, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle declares his absolute confidence in the ministry of the New Testament to save sinners. And he bases it on three things. First, verse 1 and 2. The gospel being effective in those preaching. It begins with them. Secondly, in verse 3 and 4. The gospel being ineffective to those rejecting the preaching. And then thirdly, verse 5 and 6. The gospel being effective through those imparting the preaching. He hits the gospel from every angle and just nails the superiority of the New Testament here. Let's begin here. In verse 1, the apostle Paul declared the effectiveness of the gospel is based on the proper understanding of the Old and the New Covenant or Testament. Notice Paul stated his confident conclusion based on recognizing the superiority of the new covenant over the old. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, in other words, in view of what has been said, this is the only logical conclusion of the two covenants, pointing back to chapter 3, verse 7 through 18. The word, therefore, as you know, is a concluding word for this reason, on this account, based on this evidence, the distinct contrast of the two covenants the distinct glory of the one over the other, the distinct temporalness of the one to the permanence of the other that he dealt with from verse 7 to 14 of chapter 3. Really, if you go all the way back, this is kind of a circular conclusion what he began in chapter 1, verse 12, all the way to here. He's just hammering the gospel because the Judaizers are attacking regarding law. They're presenting law as gospel. It is not. Also in view of the fact that We are entrusted with this ministry. The word ministry, as you know, diakonia, is the office of service in the new covenant of grace. Uh, We get our word deacon from it, in contrast to the old covenant of the law. In fact, the word appears 13 times in this epistle, four times in verse 7 through 9 of the previous chapter. There he says... The sufficiency as ministers was by the spirit that gives life not of the letter that kills in chapter 3, verse 6. The ministry of the spirit that is more glorious than that of the old covenant, chapter 3, verse 8. The ministry of righteousness that exceeds in much more glory in chapter 3, verse 9 in the middle. And the ministry of liberty or freedom versus the bondage because the law cannot enable you in chapter 3, verse 17. The ministry of unveiled faces, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, chapter 3, verse 18, the beginning, in contrast to Moses' veiled face. And the end of verse 18 of chapter 3, the ministry that transforms people into the image of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Hands down. But then he also says it in view of the fact of the inferiority of the old covenant, because he gives us the superiority, but the contrast is there. The Old Covenant is called the ministry of death because it demands perfection. Man cannot keep it, Second Corinthians 3, seven, The law could demand, but it couldn't enable you to keep it. The Old Covenant is called the ministry of condemnation, accusing man of his guilt, 2 Corinthians 3.9. The Old Covenant is called that was passing away, being obsolete very clearly in chapter 3, verse 7, 11, and 13. Now, when we use inferiority and superiority, we're not saying one was completely so distinct from the other. No. The one was prophetic and in time prophetic only temporal until Jesus fulfilled it. It was to lead us to Christ, Galatians 3.24 says. The schoolmaster, everything in the old covenant pointed to Jesus prophetically. Every sacrifice, every furnishing of the tabernacle, everything pointed to Christ. But they didn't see that. We're going to see the blindness of the veil over their heart, not their mind, their heart. Listen, the gospel shoots for the heart, not the mind. If you're shooting for the mind, you're shooting too high. Lower your aim. Now notice Paul stated his confident conclusion based on recognizing that they were entrusted with this ministry to the new cover the gospel was because of mercy. We have... As we have received mercy, Elios, we come across it often, compassion, pity. Someone who cannot help themselves at all. You feel empathy, compassion, you come alongside, your voice, your tenor, everything, the tenderness. They were poor and unable to do this ministry with the old covenant, as he said in chapter 3, verse 10, 11. Because the law didn't enable you. The people of the Old Testament did not have the Holy Spirit, as you and I do. Only kings, prophets, and people for special calling. But the regular people didn't have it. They were unable to do the ministry in and of themselves, they said, even as Christians in chapter 3, verse 5. their the was of God in Christ. And so Paul stated his specific confident conclusion in view of all these facts so they did not lose what? Heart. and what? In carrying out the new covenant ministry of the gospel. They didn't faint. That's what it means. We do not lose heart. Discouraged to be spiritless. Being dissuaded, distracted, derailed. Even though it looked like they would not always triumph, they would when God led, he told us in chapter 2, verse 14. Like the triumph in general. It didn't depend upon the circumstance, situation. Even though they were the fragrance of Christ and aroma of death to those who rejected the gospel in a realm of life, to those who received the gospel in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, they didn't respond to it either way. Even though there they were hucksters regarding the gospel at Corinth accusing them of being hucksters themselves in chapter 2, 17, it didn't discourage them. Even though they were being attacked about having no letters of commendation in chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, It didn't move them. Even though they were being accused of trusting themselves in chapter 3, 4 through 6, again, it didn't make them discouraged. In fact, even if it cost them their lives, they would not lose heart. Though their outward man was perishing, yet the inward man was being renewed day by day because they were looking for the resurrection. Verse 7 to 16 of chapter 4, but he nails it in 16. He says, We do not lose heart again. And there you see his sufferings, the first catalog of his sufferings, then in chapter 11. In other words, no matter what happens in life, he is not derailed from being encouraged preaching the gospel. No matter what happens in life, they preach the gospel. What a great message for us today. Too much of Christianity today is in this fickle, uh, emotional, Feeling And well, I don't feel. Well, I'm not too concerned about your feelings. I'm concerned about your faith. I can't do anything about your feelings, but I can do something about your faith. We live by faith, not by sight. Notice the pronoun is used by Paul. Three times we appears in verse 1. The reference of Paul, Silas, Timothy, Titus, and anybody else who was the faithful preacher there of the gospel. Now look at verse 2. The Apostle Paul declared the effectiveness of the gospel and that it is based on the preaching of the gospel, listen, with godly integrity. The Apostle Paul expresses this from the negative and the positive. Take note. In verse 2, the beginning, Paul uses the negative characteristics to affirm their blamelessness. Listen what he's going to say. They had renounced a life of duplicity, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Paul, Silas, Timothy have been transformed by the gospel. They had renounced, meaning to put away, give up, or to forbid themselves found only this time in this form. What did they forbid themselves? The hidden things of shame, referring to those things that are kept secret and concealed by men from public that are dishonest and disgraceful as they execute the ministry of the Spirit. The Judaizers, given an appearance of what they weren't. The apostles, what you see is what you get. What a contrast. Yet they were accusing just the opposite. They were not being deceptive in their methods, next he says, not walking in craftiness. The word, again, the word craftiness, cleverness, cunningness, and evil. The Judaizers were. The word is used of the deception of. Eve by Satan, later on in chapter 11, verse 3, Paul will use that. And then he will say, and the Judaizers are preaching another gospel. Those are pretty heavy words. Sometimes people get upset when I say, Rick Warren's preaching another gospel. He is! I would be derelict to say no! Why would I be silent? They were not twisting or misusing the gospel. Listen, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. The phrase handling deceitfully means to decoy, to adulterate, and the word, so it's to catch with bait, literally. When that fisherman goes out there, he's deceiving the fish. He's not being truthful. He's saying, I want to feed you, little fishy, but he has a hook. Paul will use it as well as the previous word, Again, in chapter 12, verse 16, where he says, but be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, that's the same word as the one before this one. I caught you by cunning. Here's the word again in a different form. It's a rhetorical question. No, I didn't do that. Notice Paul used the positive then characteristics to confirm their godliness. They were proclaiming the pure gospel but by manifestation of the truth. They were manifesting the gospel simply by preaching it. That's it. The word truth, as you know, aletheia, it refers to whatever is being talked about as absolute truth, whatever the matter is in the context. The word is being used for the gospel of the New Testament in contrast to the old economy of the law. He has referred to the gospel by many other terms, diffusing fragrance of his knowledge in every place in chapter 2, verse 14. Speaking from God in the sight of God in Christ, chapter 3, verse 15. Ministers of the New Covenant, chapter 3, verse 6. The revelation of God's righteousness, chapter 3, verse 9, and there are many others. They're all synonymous with the gospel in contrast to law. Now notice they were... Manifesting the truth of the gospel to every man to judge. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience. The conscience works to tell you that you're doing something you shouldn't. It's with knowledge, with science. It can callous your conscience in such a way, in such a manner, that pretty soon it doesn't work for you. But it works at the beginning. The word commending means to place together, to set one against the other. In other words, they were preaching the gospel and their live example confirmed and approved the message they were preaching. They were not two distinct things, put them side by side. Okay? That's what he's saying. Before men. Appearing five more times this word in this letter, it's a key word. In fact, in presence, he said earlier in chapter 1, verse 12, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. So in presence. Then he says by letter in chapter 1, verse 13, for we... Are not writing any other thing to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. So, what we are in presence were in letter, were consistent, very important. They were manifesting the truth not only before men's conscience, but notice, before the ultimate judge in the sight of God. As they proclaimed to men, it was for them to examine it, but also God the one who knows all things, even the intents of the heart. Chapter 217 at the end says, For we do not, as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Wow. In 1752, Whitfield wrote to Benjamin Franklin the following, Quote, As I find you growing more and more famous in the world of letters, I recommend to your unprejudiced study of the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important study, and if mastered, will abundantly repay you. I bid you, dear friend, remember that he, before whose bar we must both soon appear, has solemnly declared that without it, we shall in no way see his kingdom. What a great faithful witness unintimidated, just straightforward to the leaders of the nation. How great that is. There are those like Paul who have been called and enabled by God to care for the flock of God, and they do so regardless of what happens, regardless of the response of the people, regardless of the attacks on ministry. They just do what God's called them to do. That's all. Every generation People have to choose one or the other. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The gospel must be effective first in those preaching. Secondly, Paul says, it's based on the gospel being ineffective to those rejecting the preaching. Kind of a funny point to declare, but it's, it's the fact of it, and he's implied it before. Notice here in verse 3, the apostle Paul declaring that the ineffectiveness of the gospel is not due to the inferior quality of the gospel. You can't blame the word of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, Paul admits that even though they preach the gospel with clarity and integrity, sometimes the gospel remains veiled to the hearer and he's not converted. The word veil, as you know, means to cover or to hide. Four times it is used as a key word. It's used for the inferior ministry of Moses in chapter 3, verse from 13 to 16. The veil had the glory of God behind that veil, the face of Moses. That glory was fading away, indicating that it was temporary. Not by replacement because of inferiority, but because it was a fulfillment of the person of Christ. Galatians again says that it was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. A pedagogue. The clear teaching is unmistakable. The symbol of the veil is after the order of the Jew regarding Moses, chapter 3, verse 13. His opponents are Jewish. They're saying the way for sinners to be saved is the law, to follow all these rituals, to keep the law. The veil is said to be, by the way, on the heart, the hardness of the heart, chapter 3, verse 15. The veil is used by Paul as an impediment to the Jew when reading the Old Testament in chapter 3, 14, and 16, keeping them from embracing the gospel that can only be done away in Christ. You see, if you believe Jesus is a good man and prophet, that's not good enough. He's going to point out what you need to believe who Jesus is. But it's an impediment in the Old Testament. They wouldn't see Christ in there. Now remember, we forget, but when we're talking about this, all they had was the Old Testament Scripture when Paul was talking about it. So he's talking about Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. These letters were just being written. So he's talking about Old Testament. We forget that sometimes when we study the letters. Now notice, Paul called the gospel our gospel. He makes himself and others who proclaim the gospel one with the gospel. Is this your gospel? Has it grabbed you? Does it own you? Do you value it? Do you proclaim it? Do you rely upon it? Is it your gospel or is it just the gospel? It's an important difference. The gospel made them born again. The gospel had transformed them. The gospel had given them a living and sure hope. They were Jews. Paul certainly was. Barnabas and others. Peter. He makes himself and the others one with God. There's a difference between relationship and religion. Don't confuse them. Now notice still in 3, the Apostle Paul declared the ineffectiveness of the gospel is due to the quality of the hearer. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Paul identified those to whom the gospel is veiled as those who are being destroyed Ruin, literally. He was being accused of preaching the gospel in a mysterious, hidden way. It was not true. False accusation. Sometimes I hear from people, well, I just can't get fed anymore there. Open your mouth and chew. Christians should be slapped when they say that. If I just read the gospel, if all I did was read this thing, made no comment, you should be full. When you leave here. Because this is the word of God. He said those perishing are those leading to death. Eternal death in chapter 2 verse 16. He said those who are perishing are those who have a veil over their hearts. To believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved. In chapter 3 verse 16. He said those perishing are those who if they die physically. Without Accepting Jesus and repenting of their sins, they will be instantly in hell, being under the wrath of God. John 3:36: He who has the Son has life, he who has not the Son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him. The gospel is a very serious matter, it's not up for discussion.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us that the gospel is available to all but not all will receive the good news and you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com and as always you can request a cd copy of today's study and it's called the gospel of the new covenant it's available for just four dollars And this is one message you'll want to share with those in your Bible study or Sunday school class. The title to ask for once again is The Gospel of the New Covenant. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. What makes the gospel unique? To find the answer to that question, join us for the next edition of Simple Truths with our teacher, Pastor Xavier Reese.